Hello, Strong Songs listeners. Kirk here with some high, highly tidings for you all. Last year, I did an episode about the music of The Legend of Zelda. I know a lot of folks liked it, and I've heard from a lot of those same folks asking if I'll have anything new to say about the music of the newest Zelda game. This year's The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. And the answer to that question is yes. In fact, I've made an entire episode of Strong Songs all about the music of Tears of the Kingdom, and I'm very excited for you all to listen to it. It'll go up in the main feed next Friday, and in the meantime, I wanted to drop the following bonus episode into the main feed for you all as well. This episode was originally recorded as a Patreon-exclusive bonus and posted at the same time as last year's main feed episode on Zelda music. I've been slowly putting those Patreon bonus episodes into the main feed since ultimately I want everyone to be able to hear everything. So the following episode contains just some of my thoughts on a few additional Zelda themes that I didn't have space for in the main episode, the Songless Storms, the Dark World slash Lowrule theme from Link to the Past and Link Between Worlds, the music of Cadence of Hyrule, a really cool game with some great music, a few other things. So if you haven't listened to the original Zelda episode from last year, you can find that just a bit earlier in the feed if you scroll down. I'd say listen to that one before you listen to this one, because this is just some sort of notes and errata from that main feed episode. And I would also say, listen to both of these before you listen to next week's full-length episode about Tears of the Kingdom. That's a lot of musical analysis for Zelda, but it is a game series that I would say deserves it. And hey, if you want to hear that Tears of the Kingdom episode right now, if you just can't wait to know what I think of all the incredible saxophone playing on that soundtrack, if you can't wait until next week, well, you can actually go listen to it. If you become a patron over on Patreon, you will get access to each new episode of Strong Songs two weeks before it hits the main feed and if you become a patron right now that means you can be listening to the tears of the kingdom episode right now all patrons have already heard it if they want to hear it so if that sounds good to you go to patreon.com slash strong songs and sign up all right enjoy this bonus episode i'll see you next week for the tears of the kingdom episode and thanks as always for listening So it's time for me to hand it off to my past self to take over. As you all know, I made an episode last year all about the music of The Legend of Zelda. And as you can imagine, there was a lot of music that I didn't get to, and I wanted to take the opportunity, use this little bonus feed, as a way to just talk about a few other Zelda pieces of music that I really like, and some other cool little musical tidbits, some of which I was planning to put into the main episode and just didn't have room for, and some just kind of felt like extra, little extra things that might be fun to talk to you all about. So for starters, I want to mention a piece that I did manage to mention a little bit in the episode. I I gave it a shout-out because I just couldn't imagine making an episode of a podcast about Zelda music without mentioning it, but I didn't really get too in-depth on it, and I wanted to talk about it a little bit more, and that is, of course, one of my favorite pieces of Zelda music, The Song of Storms from Ocarina of Time, a widely beloved piece that's very simple and very short. what you just heard, that's the entirety of Song of Storms, but this piece of music is so well written that it makes a real impression, despite the fact that it really is just this one melody that plays over and over again.
So this piece of music has this kind of cycling, very atmospheric vibe. Some of that is the time signature. This is a waltz, so it's one, two, three, one, two, three, which gives it a very certain kind of a lilt, a kind of a bounce to it. A lot of it, though, is the chord progression. So this is in D minor, and it just goes kind of up the first three notes of a D minor scale. It starts on a D minor, then it goes up to an E minor, the second degree, and then to an F major from the third, that minor third, the F major, and then back down to E minor. So it's doing this just kind of up and back down thing that gives it this nice kind of cyclical feeling. And that's also enhanced by the fact that you first hear this, I believe it's inside of a windmill in Ocarina of Time, if I'm remembering this correctly. Then there's this guy kind of playing on a hurdy-gurdy on some kind of a, a funny instrument, and he's standing inside of this cycling windmill, which adds to that kind of feeling of cycling. So it goes through those three chords, then it goes up to a B flat major, and then down to an F, then back to a B flat major, and then it goes to an A, an A major, the five chord, which really leads back around to the D minor. That's really a very simple chord progression. The magic of this, though, is in the melody and the way that the melody uses chord tones, in particular, the major seventh, to set against that harmony, against that chord progression, in a way that sounds really evocative, really beautiful. The trick that Koji Kondo really did on this melody is that he repeats each phrase two times, and each phrase gets to have a second meaning because the chords change on that second repetition. Let me show you what I mean. So that first statement is a D and F and a D. Pretty simple, right? And in D minor, I mean a D and F and a D. That's about as simple as it gets. But then he plays the same thing over E minor, which is actually a little bit weird. There's an F in there, it's a flat nine. Wouldn't normally sound good, but because it's a repetition of a phrase that already happened, it has a kind of a different valence. It has a different weight to it. And it works just fine over that E minor. So that first repeated phrase sounds like this. Then the melody is just sitting up on this D. So it goes up to an E. Now I mentioned quite a bit how much Koji Kondo likes a major seventh, and that E over an F major chord is a major seventh. So that's the first of many major sevenths that I'll be mentioning on this bonus episode. But that's a really beautiful sound. The way that that melody, it repeats that phrase once on the D minor, then once on the E minor, then while it's sitting up on that D, it just climbs up one step, up a step to an E, which gives it that beautiful major seventh sound, which is just this lush, nice sound before it climbs back down as the chord moves back down to the E minor. Very tidy, really beautifully put together little phrase. So at this point, the melody is on an A, and he just stays right there on the A in the melody and changes the chord to a B flat, which yet again, that's a major seventh. So the melody stays on a major seventh, this time on a B flat chord. So you get that nice major seventh sound again, another lush, really beautiful sound as it moves from B flat down to F major, and then, like I said, this repeats the phrase and it gets a slightly different energy the second time through. It repeats that major seventh sound on the B flat again, and this time it resolves down to an A major chord, the five chord, which very strongly wants to resolve back around to D minor, which of course is exactly what it does. It does one more kind of truncated phrase through the B flat to the A, back to one. You can 
see why it's one of people's favorite Zelda melodies. It has this timeless quality to it. The first time I heard this, I felt like I'd already heard this, which is something I would say about a lot of my favorite melodies. It has a just sort of eternal quality to it. It's really a testament to just how well written it is and how well it all fits together. So there's another one of my favorite Zelda melodies that I didn't have a chance to get into on the episode that actually does something harmonically very similar to Song of Swords. It's a way of seeing kind of inside Koji Kondo's toolkit because it's a really similar kind of a harmonic idea used in the service of a very different kind of tune. So this has always been a piece of music that I've really liked. It's been stuck in my head for so long, I didn't even realize the impact that it had on me until I heard it again several decades after I first heard it with a different instrumentation. And that's because this is a piece of music from 1992's A Link to the Past that I then heard again many years later in 2013's A Link Between Worlds, re-recorded with a full ensemble. And that was when it really sunk in for me how much I liked this piece of music and how well I think it worked. So if you remember from the main episode, 2013's A Link Between Worlds is a sort of spiritual successor, sort of semi-sequel to 1992's A Link to the Past, and as a result, the soundtrack has a lot of music from A Link to the Past, but it's been reimagined and re-recorded with live musicians in the studio, so you get to hear these really fleshed out, really exciting versions of a lot of classic tracks from the 1991 game. So as you can maybe imagine from the name, A Link to the Past involves some dimensional shenanigans and some time travel. You spend all this time exploring the verdant green fields of Hyrule, and you hear the main theme music play as you do so, but then, a little ways into the game, you unlock a portal that leads you to a new, much more scary version of Hyrule, The Dark World. And of course, that version of Hyrule gets its own theme music. Now, the Dark World theme from Link to the Past is one of my favorite Zelda themes, in part because of the music, but also in part because I'll just always associate it with seeing the Dark World for the first time, and this music perfectly underscores that moment. just got that kind of driving, martial, dramatic feel, and harmonically it's actually doing something very similar to what Song of Storms was doing, as you'll see when we kind of get into our analysis. It's doing the same kind of chordal movement, but it sounds very different. It's not a waltz, it's not really going for a dreamlike vibe, and just the energy is completely different, despite the fact that it looks kind of similar on paper. So we're in C minor this time, and we start out, it goes from one to four, then up to one, then up to four, using chord inversions to give it a sense of constantly climbing, even though it's actually cycling back and forth between the one and the four. The actual chord progression is really nice. We go from this C minor up to the four chord, up to F. Then we go to an A flat, which has a major seventh there in the melody, which just sounds really nice. That G in the melody is a major seventh in the key of A flat. Then we go to a B flat, the flat seven chord, which leads us back to C minor. Very common chord progression, one to four to flat six to flat seven. It's a really dramatic chord progression and it gives a nice feeling of darkness and drama, which is what the dark world should really have. There's also a really cool sequence where it modulates. It does this big long modulation up to the key of G and it reprises the whole thing, that like pedal tone with the moving one to four to one in the key of G. You can hear it happening underneath me. It's this really great whole sequence that leads us eventually into a whole new key. (laughs) 
So like I said, I love this theme, but I'll also always just associate it with my memories of first experiencing the dark world. I think that it sounds good, but I also think you can really hear Koji Kondo bumping up against the limits of what even the Super Nintendo could do. He's got this kind of snare drum giving himself percussion. He's got a lot of nice different tones implying a sort of a small group, this kind of exciting small chamber ensemble. But as strong of a composition as it is, I always kind of felt like it could benefit from a larger, more fleshed out recording. And in 2013, when Link Between Worlds came out, oh man, that game really showed me just how good the Link to the Past Dark World music can sound if you give it to a really good band. So I was going around exploring the nice verdant overworld, and then I traveled through a mirror to the dark world, and all at once, this music began to play. was so good it almost killed the momentum of the game for me. I just sat there for like five minutes with this huge grin on my face just listening to the music. There's no denying that the original chiptune versions of a lot of classic video game themes, they have this indelible charm, they have a unique sound, but there's also no denying that some chiptune compositions just really benefit from being played by live musicians. So speaking of Zelda music and Zelda themes being reinterpreted or re-recorded years later, I wanted to talk about another bit of Zelda music that I wished I could have found space for in the episode, but that just, I couldn't quite make it happen. But this really kind of amazing thing happened just a few years ago in 2018 that I wanted to mention on this bonus episode because I didn't get to it in the main episode. So one of my favorite Zelda pieces is the Gerudo Valley theme from Ocarina of Time. And again, this is one that I really briefly referenced on the episode because I couldn't leave it out entirely, but I couldn't really get into it either. It's this really fun kind of flamenco thing with a really killer melody, just a great piece. So moody, so dramatic. This is a killer piece of music, and like a lot of Zelda music, it really lends itself to reinterpretation. There are so many great covers of Zelda songs out there on YouTube. Good lord, there's a whole subsection of YouTube that's just amazing musicians doing cool arrangements of Zelda music. Some people have shared some really great ones in the Strong Songs Discord um, that I hadn't heard before and I got to check out. Um, I'll link a few of those in the show notes just so you can listen to them. But there's one thing, one collection of Zelda covers that's one of the most interesting and kind of unprecedented things I've ever encountered, and that is the 2019 indie rhythm game Crypt of the Necrodancer Cadence of Hyrule. So Crypt of the Necrodancer is this action game that you play. It looks kind of like Zelda, but you have to move in time to the music. So the whole thing becomes kind of a Zelda-themed dance party, where you're moving through combat with the enemies, trying to negotiate their moves with your moves so that you can hit them and not get hit. 
As you can imagine, it's important for a game like this to have a good soundtrack, and Cadence of Hyrule's soundtrack, composed by the great Danny Baranowski, is more than up to the task. One thing that I really like about the Cadence of Hyrule music is that there's two versions of every piece of music. This is the overworld music when you're in combat, but when you're not in combat, it changes and it becomes a softer, more ethereal version of the same music. So you're just kind of moving through the world, no combat, just dancing in time to the music. Then, as things tend to go in the Kingdom of Hyrule, some enemies appear, and everything changes. It's such a fascinating musical project. I know Baranowski a little bit just from back in my days writing about video games. He's a great composer. He did the music for Super Meat Boy and, of course, for Crypt of the Necrodancer, the game that led to Cadence of Hyrule. And this is a rare example of Nintendo letting an indie team take their very carefully guarded intellectual property, in this case, The Legend of Zelda, and do something so creative with it. And it's musically so interesting what Baranowski came up with, getting to rewrite and rearrange all of these beautiful Koji Kondo classics and turn each one into this psychedelic dance floor reimagining of the original melody. As you can hear, it kind of takes him a while to get there, to get to that full melody with the descending chord progression and the whole thing that I went over on my main episode about the Legend of Zelda theme, but it's super cool when it finally gets there. And part of the experience of this soundtrack is playing the game, because the whole time you're so actively engaging with the soundtrack, because you have to just move on the downbeats, and so there's just this pulse going, and you get into the groove, and then this music is going, and it's doing all these funny, fun, creative things with music that's familiar, but also unfamiliar at the same time. It's a really amazing experience experience. I'm sure some of you out there played it, but it's really worth checking out. I mean, there are so many musical references and jokes in here. I'm sure there's a ton of stuff that I don't get because, you know, I've played a fair amount of Zelda, but I haven't played every Zelda game and I'm not an encyclopedic Zelda knower in the way that I'm sensing Danny Baranowski probably is, or at least he is after this project. So I did want to at least mention their take on the Gerudo Valley theme, which of course turns up how could such a groovy original Zelda theme not turn up in the grooviest Zelda spinoff game. And this take is great. It features a guitar player named Jules Conroy, who has a pretty active YouTube channel, and he added some of that nice flamenco sound which kind of fleshes out the sounds hinted at in the 1998 original on the Nintendo 64. So what I love about this one is there's a huge contrast between the quiet version, which you're hearing now, and the battle version, which opens way up It'll start so quiet and then get so big. So yeah, Cadence of Hyrule, really cool and worth checking out, and among the many, many, many extremely worthy covers of Zelda songs that are out there, I think this one is extra cool just because it's an actual video game that was published by Nintendo using their characters and reworking their music, kind of with their blessing, and it just gave Danny such a cool chance to experiment with all of those sounds and those melodies, and he had so much fun with it. Uh, it's a special game and a, and a really cool thing. 
All right, so the last thing that I wanted to leave you with is something that listener Joseph wrote in with. Joseph is a patron, actually. And hey there, Joseph, if you're listening. Um, Joseph wrote, just recently I was listening to your episode on the music of The Legend of Zelda when I discovered a very subtle similarity between the Great Fairy Fountain theme and the famous Frederick Chopin piece, Fantasy Impromptu. So a lot of you probably know Fantasy Impromptu, one of the most famous solo piano pieces of all time. Man, listening to someone play it, that's Arthur Rubinstein playing it. Man, it really makes you appreciate how much technique Chopin wrote for. That is a difficult piece to play on the piano. So anyways, Joseph, you are totally right. You're hearing what I would have to think is a, is a conscious quote or certainly an influence on Koji Kondo when he wrote this melody because the very next part of Fantasy Impromptu goes into a melody that's extremely close to the Great Fairy's Fountain theme. So let's listen to that theme from Zelda first and get that in your ear just in case it's been a minute since you listened to the episode. This is what that sounds like. Right, so you did listen to the episode and you probably remember it. You don't need me to do a whole harmonic analysis, but the Great Fairy Fountain theme revolves around this one motif, right? These four notes, la da da da, where it kind of walks down and it has that little half step slide at the end, la da da da, la da da da, la da da da. Really beautiful motif. And that's the whole thing. I mean, it's all built out of that motif, as I illustrated on the episode when talking about this piece. Well, let's see what Chopin has to say about that. Let's go back to Fantasy Impromptu and listen and see if you can hear something that sounds similar. Well, hey, what do you know? So that is so cool. Great ears, Joseph. You're totally hearing it. And it's really, I mean, it is very, very similar. So we're in the key of E here. And this is, man, it's such a similar sound. It's a four chord. So this goes from an A chord to a B major to an E major. And that's where it resolves. And this starts on a four chord playing the major seventh. And it moves in the same melodic shape. So just up on from that A up to a G sharp, down to F sharp to F, just the same shape. It's a four chord on the major seventh, exactly identical to the Great Fairy Fountain theme, and then it just kind of walks the slightly different shape to the end of the phrase. But man, that's so similar that I have to think that Koji Kondo at the very least heard that or was consciously invoking it. And they both have that same kind of ethereal, beautiful quality as well. The music sounds very similar. So good catch, Joseph. That's definitely a similarity. And man, this Chopin piece is beautiful. Let's all just sit and let Arthur Rubinstein and Frederick Chopin take us home.
All right, that'll do it for this Zelda bonus episode. Just a little spillover because there's always so much to say about the music of The Legend of Zelda. Speaking of that, I hope you all enjoy next week's episode on Tears of the Kingdom. I think it came out pretty great, and I hope that you agree. And hey, if you've been thinking about becoming a patron of Strong Songs and supporting me as I make this show, this entirely listener-supported show, if you needed a nudge, you can go sign up at $5 a month or more, and you can hear that Tears of the Kingdom episode right now. Or you can just wait and you'll hear it in the main feed next week. No big deal. Thank you so much, as always, to everyone who supports this show in any way. And to all of you who listen as well, I really, really appreciate it. I love making strong songs, and you're all the reason that I get to keep doing that. All right, take care, keep listening, and I will see you next week for more Strong Songs. Strong Songs.